0: This is episode number 235 with Bethany Webster. Show. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best selling author of Mastering Your Meat Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with Himalaya is free, super easy to use, and has every podcast you can think of. I love that you can leave comments under each episode and even create episode playlists. So make sure you check it out today. Bethany Webster is a writer, transformational coach, international speaker, and what you would call a midwife of the heart. Her work is focused on helping women heal the mother wound so that they can step into their full power and potential. She teaches workshops and online courses and offers a coaching program for women leaders who want to accelerate their impact and leadership. Bethany started a blog in 2013 that was focused on defining the mother wound and explaining its key role in women's empowerment. Although work by writers such as Adriana Rich and Christine Northrup have touched on the mother wound, no one had yet fleshed out exactly what the mother wound is and why it remains a universal experience of women the world over. Her work has filled a crucial gap in our understanding of women's psychology and empowerment by comprehensively defining the mother wound how it manifests in women's lives and providing a roadmap to a solution with her seven steps to healing the mother wound. Blending cutting edge research on intergenerational trauma, feminist theory and psychology with her own personal story, her body of work is the result of decades of her own research and her personal journey of healing. Her seminal article, why it's crucial for women to heal the mother wound, was published in 2013 and instantly went viral, sparking new awareness of the mother wound around the world. And her first book will be published in 2020, which I am so excited about. And in today's episode, we chat about her story from being the mother figure as a child to falling pregnant at 19, to healing her mother wound and her spiritual awakening to where she is today we also talk about what is the mother wound the truth about why people get defensive why we need to stay open in all our relationships the power of ccc crystal clear communication she also gives us the seven steps to heal your mother wound and how this process can transform your own life as well as your relationship with your mother What if you already have children? Is it too late to heal your mother wound? She answers that question. Why you need to get support on your healing journey? How to apply this work to your father wound? Plus so much more. And for everything Bethany and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that is over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 235. But before we dive into this epic conversation, I want to read the review of the week. And this week, it comes from The Real Her Project. And it's a five-star review. And it's titled, Open, Raw, and Real. And she says, Melissa's episodes have opened up my mind to not only the possibility in business, but also with my health and the way that I treat my body. Her guests are always spot on and she always asks the right questions with grace and kindness. Such a great podcast. Thank you so much, honey. I am so grateful. So glad that you love it. And thank you for that beautiful review. And don't forget that if you want to be the review of the week, all you have to do is head to iTunes and leave me that five-star review right now. And without further ado, let's dive into this incredibly important and amazing episode with Bethany Webster. Bethany, welcome to the show. I'm so excited for this conversation. But before we dive in, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning?
1: For breakfast this morning, I had an egg on whole grain toast. Right. And do you have that every day or is this something new? I have it a few times a week, actually.
0: Yeah, it's a favorite. Hmm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I love my favorites too. Now I am so excited to have this conversation with you today. But can you begin by telling us your story and how you got to where you are today doing the work that you now do? Like how did this all unfold for you? Hmm. Yeah, that's a it's a
1: big question. And I'll I'll do my best to keep it succinct. Yeah, so the way I came to be doing this work, you know, it was never anything I set out to do. it really was an organic, a very organic journey. And I'd say, you know, I could start from the very beginning. So when I was a little girl, I was, I, I played this role with my mother of being kind of like her emotional support. So I was her, kind of like her therapist. And this was kind of the role I played. You know, she had a lot of stress and struggle in her own life. And I kind of just, our roles were a little bit reversed. So I was coming from this place of if I can just, you know, help my mom feel supported and just be there for her and listen to her and be what she needs, then I'm going to get what I need. And so it kind of became um, a survival mechanism. And it also kind of formed into an identity of, you know, a good girl. I was always a good girl. In school and in in my life, I tried to be as, as good as possible. And then this identity kind of began to show cracks. By the time I reached college, I had done a lot of rebelling against the good girl role. And I had found a really great, actually a really great friend group. But then when I, by the time I got to college, I started to feel really, really adrift. I was 19 and I got unexpectedly pregnant and Didn't know what to do. I just had this feeling, though, come over me like, I need to give birth to myself before I give birth to someone else. I have no idea who I am and I need to figure this out. So it was a wake up call. And I immediately got myself into therapy and on a spiritual path. So I learned all I could about Eastern religions, I got into yoga, I got deep into therapy, and I was really lucky to find a very feminist therapist who I actually still work with to this day by the way so I'm like at 22 years of therapy with the same person which I think played a massive role in in my life so fast forward and I'm like 27 you know years old saturn return <laughs> um I moved to New York City with my with my boyfriend at the time and we you know I got distance from my family I got distance I got to I lived in New York City yeah I said that and uh, it was awesome. I got to really, you know, figure out who I am, what I'm into, what I'm all about. But I started to get distance from my my mother and I started to get insight on what was really happening in that relationship. For a long time in therapy and on my personal growth journey, I looked at everything else but my relationship with my mother. I didn't want to look at that. It was way too scary. It felt kind of like a dark path. I didn't want to go down because I knew there was stuff there, but it just felt too scary. It felt too big. So I ended up working on everything else but that, you know, my problems in relationships, my issues with food and body image. I did a lot of healing on so many things, but I really avoided, you know, looking at my relationship with my mother. But the problem came when I realized, "Oh my gosh, I'm dealing kind of with the same things in all these different as all these different areas." They all kind of come they always came back to the same set of beliefs and the same set of behaviors, just playing out in different ways. And I realized that those originated from those core dynamics with my mom, from being the good girl, you know, shrinking to be accepted, feeling like I had to chase approval, that I had to shrink to be loved, that I couldn't be powerful, that it wasn't safe to take up space. So all of these core kind of issues were playing out in every area of my life. And that's when I was like, wow, if I don't look at this, I'm postponing the life that I really want to live and and the person that I know that I'm meant to be. So I finally got up enough courage, you know, to start deeply looking into it. And it was super painful and hard, but I had a lot of support, you know, I had a lot of support along the way. So, things kind of came to a head. It's actually interesting. It was 12 years ago yesterday. (laughs) August 8th, which is the day we're recording this, is kind of a big deal for me. But yesterday, it was actually yesterday, though, August 7th, 12 years ago, that I did something really huge. I called my mom on the phone when I was living in Manhattan and I said, you know, hey, I need to talk to you about our relationship I'm just I've been experiencing a lot of pain in our relationship and I really want to shift that. I want us to have a better relationship. I want us to know each other better. I want it to be on more equal footing. And I've just been, I haven't told you because I know it you don't mean to, you know, cause pain for me, but I've been really suffering in our relationship. And I would love for us to work on this together. So I called her and said this. But before I called her, I I said a prayer to the universe. I had the cell phone in my hand was one of those flip phones, you know, back in the day. This was like <laughs> 2007 and I was like, I knew. I knew before I said a word that this was going to be a bomb that was going to go off in my entire family. Wow. Because not only was I, you know, not only was I my, my my mother's therapist, you know, playing that role, but I was also like my brother's protector, you know, be- protecting him from my dad. I was also my dad's protector for my mother. So I was this buffer as the female the oldest female in the family, I played this buffer role where I kind of protected everybody from themselves and from each other. And I thought that was my role, you know, but it became so painful. But I had this sense, I was like, you know, when I say no to this role, you know, I just had this feeling of foreboding and dread, like something, this is gonna be bad. But I also knew that this is what I must do. This is what I must do to be the woman who I really know I'm meant to be and to really claim and be empowered and, you know, I've got to, and be in my integrity ultimately, you know? So I made the call. I said the prayer to the universe. I had everything I was going to say written down on a piece of paper, made the call. And then, you know, she got off the, she heard me, but she was like, oh, I I think you're misunderstanding. You know, that's not, I have, let's talk about it another time. I'm really tired. We got off the phone and then she sent me a nice email the next day just saying, hey, you know, I just want you to know, like, you know, I love you. I respect you. And like, I, I, you know, let's talk about how to make our relationship better. And I was like, whoa, you know, that went really well. Like maybe I was wrong. Maybe there wasn't going to be a bomb go off in my family. And I was pleasantly surprised, but then, um, the bomb did go off.
0: <laughs> oh, no. I had a busy
1: day and I wasn't able to respond. I had a super busy day. I had kind of a big job at work and I, I couldn't respond to that right away. And so there was a second email that came in that was just like, maybe you should come, maybe you should stay somewhere else when you come to town because I'm going to be too much for you and kind of all this manipulative stuff. And I was like, oh no, here it comes. So basically, what happened was a few years of the bomb went off in my family. And I kept trying to explain myself to my mother, like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to say you're wrong or bad. I literally, you know, I love you and I want us to have a better relationship. I'm not trying to make you bad at all. I'm just trying to like transform how we relate to each other into something better. And she couldn't see that. She just took it as an attack and assault on her. And she said, I don't know who you are. You're not my daughter. You know, I don't have a daughter anymore. I don't know who you are. You know, you're not my daughter. And it was like probably the most painful experience of my life. But what ended up happening, you know, over the course of years of working through this was I realized that my family, like all systems, seeks equilibrium. And when one person in the family system changes, you know, becomes different or, or threatens the equilibrium of that system, what often happens is there's like a process of scapegoating, you know, or black sheeping or whatever. And I became that black sheep. I went from going being the good girl to the black sheep. And the family system went under an amazing amount of turmoil and chaos. And so long story short, in like 2011, I ended up having to get request a restraining order against my mother because she started threatening me and, you know, you know if you don't show up if you don't answer this email i'm going to show up at your house and i'm Whoa. going to show up at your job and yeah so it it, it kind of like what i realized was that as a woman and and this is kind of where the patriarchy piece comes in i started having all these realizations that as a woman and living in a patriarchal culture i had inherited a lot of these beliefs about who i was and the limits of my role you know to be small don't rock the boat don't question authority you know don't be too loud or too big. These were not only beliefs that I inherited from my family and my mother as a way to keep the family, you know, <laughs> equilibrium, but it's also the larger culture as well. And so I was being disobedient. I was being subversive when I wanted to have a voice and when I wanted to take up space and when I wanted to be considered an equal. And my mother, because of her own, I think you know, her own disowned pain and her own relationship with her mother. I knew that my mom had gone through an incredible amount of trauma in her own childhood. She never talked about it. And it was one of those things that was like, oh, that's done and over with. I don't need to think about that, right? There was a lot of like addiction and, and mental illness in my family that no one ever talked about. But my my speaking out brought all of this stuff to the surface, right? All the stuff that was had been, the lid had been on it very tightly. Everything came out by my lack of willingness to stay in that role. And I believe that because I had been in therapy, what had really happened was I had kind of the opposite of what I had experienced in my family In through a therapeutic kind of relationship with my therapist over so, so many years that I felt strong enough, capable enough. I felt you know, entitled to have my voice and to have boundaries. And so I had actually grown into another kind of woman in my lineage, you know, in my mother line. It's like my time came to absorb all that pain, you know, to suppress my truth and just do what mothers, my mother and my grandmother and my great grandmother had done before me. But because I had gotten all this support, I didn't feel as beholden to those rules anymore, and so I was breaking the rules and by doing that as I went through it, which was an emotional hell, unlike anything I could have predicted. But my because I had like a real strong spiritual practice and a strong support network, I wanted to be as conscious as possible of everything that was coming up. So I was doing, you know, I was reading a ton of books. I was working with my inner child. I was journaling for hours a day and really having this enormous amount of courage because I really wanted to use. I'd be as conscious as possible. I didn't want to numb out. I didn't want to, you know, distract myself from what I was feeling. I wanted to be really in it. And through that process, something amazing happened that I, you know, never would have expected, but it turned into kind of a a spiritual awakening for me where when I was conscious enough of the pain of, wow, my entire, my mother's actually attacking me. You know, there's a feeling like she's making it clear. She wants to destroy me. That pain was so powerful that, in opening to it rather than numbing out to it, I experienced a kind of benevolence inside that pain, a kind of like recognition that all those things I thought were true, you know that i 'm bad there 's something wrong with me i 'm horrible, you know if anybody knew me really that i 'd be horrible they 'd see me you know they 'd run the other way, like all these deep core like beliefs in the mother wound, which I came to describe later. That that, that actually wasn't the real me, you know, all those things, those feelings were there, but there was also this benevolence, this presence that was who I am. And also seeing, I began to see this benevolence everywhere, you know, in everyday objects, in myself, in nature, in other people. I began to kind of see this deeper benevolence in the pain and in life itself. And it was kind of like, you know, through, it felt like a just opening to pain. And realizing, wow, I'm way bigger than this. I can survive this. And and, and I was looking around and I'm like, wow, why isn't anyone talking about this? You know, I was looking for feminists, writers, self help teachers, people to talk about, you know, because what I was discovering felt really important. Like there's a link between how deeply we can open to our own pain of the trauma we've been through as children, but also how there's a link for women, especially this link between looking at the pain between mothers and daughters, that there's a special, important recognition that has to happen there for us to be truly empowered. Because having gone through this, I went beyond what I came to call the maternal horizon, which is like that limit where, you know, it doesn't feel safe to go beyond what our mothers have done. Or maybe it feels too scary to be more powerful, more vocal than maybe our mothers, or have opportunities that our mothers didn't have but that we will stay away from those opportunities if we haven't looked at those dynamics in the mother-daughter relationship that are actually keeping us stuck. So I went through that process and then I started feeling super passionate. Like I have to talk to other women about this. This is, this is crucial. This is something that no one's talking about. And I realized I'm gonna have to write about this because I'm looking for something that's not out there. So I started a blog in 20... Uh, I think it was 2013 and it almost instantly went viral. I I was terrified to write about this, to be honest with you I was terrified because I'm like no one's talking about it. People are scared of this. I know, and I'm probably going to get some hate mail, but you know what? I need, it needs to be said. So I just pushed through it and I definitely did get some hate mail, but it wasn't as bad as I was thinking it would be, but the the women from all around the world, especially Europe for some reason, I was getting, you know, invitations to speak from Spain and and the UK and a lot of other countries, people, women were saying, oh my God, you're writing my story. Like I totally relate to this. So I created a theory about, you know, based on, and I have degrees in psychology myself, but I'm more of a, I'm not a psychotherapist. I'm more of a social psychology researcher. That's my background. So I developed, you know, my own theory about, you know, I started journaling, you know, based on all the journaling I had done. And then also my own reading and research that, this term, the mother wound. So people have mentioned the mother wound before, writers like Adrian Rich, Chris Jane Northrup, Susan Forward. A lot of other people have used that phrase, but no one has really fleshed it out. And that's that's what I've done in my work over the p- course of the past five years is really flesh out what the mother wound is, how it shows up in our lives, why it's important that we heal it. And there's a specific piece that's important, which is linking... The experience that we have with our mothers at, with patriarchy. So it's really about patriarchal culture, which is this culture where women are considered less than inferior to men and how this atmosphere has distorted the relationships to some degree between mothers and daughters. And, and basically what it means is patriarchy has told women, you're not good enough. You're less than, you're, you should be invisible. You know, you should be subservient. Like all of these messages that our whole lineages, all of us as women, our mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers have lived in this atmosphere. And they've given birth to daughters. And so that atmosphere limits, you know, how much a woman can feel, how, you know, powerful a woman can feel, how safe a woman can feel in the world. It limits how much she can offer that to her own daughter. And so, a lot of us have like healthy relationships with our mothers you know healthier i think it's like a spectrum right there's healthy mother daughter relationships on one end and then more severe traumatic relationships on another we all fall somewhere on this spectrum of the mother wound and and the difference is you know how much trauma we've experienced in our own childhood histories as well as the cultural trauma of you know just the messages we get from church from you know schools from the media you know we're all fed these messages of female inferiority it's reinforced everywhere the thing with the mother wound is that it gets mixed it gets mixed with our needs for love safety and belonging our three most basic human needs So we internalize whatever patriarchal beliefs our mothers have passed on to us more deeply entrenched than any other places. It's like the most insidious forms of patriarchy come through our mothers for this reason. And often it's unintentional, you know, like mothers wanting to protect their daughters, like don't speak too loud, don't bring bring attention to yourself, don't rock the boat, you know, stay in the confines of acceptability. And those messages are given out of love a lot of times to protect the daughter, to keep her out of harm's way. But often these are precisely the messages actually that we need to move beyond in order to truly individuate, to access our potential, to embody our power. Those are really the messages that we need to dissolve, their hold over us. So I really see that right now, like what's happening in the world is that we stand at this precipice where we're watching patriarchal dysfunction take place everywhere, right? Politics, media, you know, the Me Too movement. We're really seeing on full horrific display how patriarchy has distorted and created suffering all around us. And I think that we are on the real precipice of opportunity as women to do this deeper inner work, because honestly, the mother wound is a product of patriarchy. And I believe we are ready to move beyond it, but we need to do the work. And so my life's work is dedicated to providing the roadmap, the mindsets, and the support and sisterhood around doing this work. It's a big wound. It's not just personal, right? It's not just about our mothers, but it's also a cultural wound. It's a spiritual wound. And it's also planetary. The mother wound is also part of our wound with the earth itself and our disconnection from the earth, our disconnection from one another, you know, as humans, our collective belonging. So it's all deeply connected. And so the empowering thing is that when we do our deep inner work as women, we help to heal we help to heal this collective wound on a cultural level, on a spiritual level and on a planetary level. So it's it's inspiring, it's it's important. It's a big it's a big, you know, thing, but it's so possible. And so I'm just really passionate about telling women that you know, this is possible to heal this wound and to change the course of things for future generations.
0: Yes, 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 yes. I love this so much and I love you and I love your work because every single person listening can probably relate to some degree. So you have seven steps to healing the mother wound, which I want to dive into. But before we do that, I wanted to ask you, why do you think your mom and and other people out there why do you think she wasn't able to receive and hear you in that moment? And why do you think she got incredibly defensive and closed off when you went to her?
1: Yes, that's a great question. I think it's a number of things. One of the biggest things I think is is cultural, which is that patriarchal view that emotions, especially, you know, so-called negative, but painful, uncomfortable emotions should not be looked at. So in my family, and I think this is true of many families, we didn't talk about stuff, you know? And and there's this sense of this false equivalence that loyalty and love means silence about painful things. There's this belief, both my parents had this and other people in my family, that you do not talk about painful emotions. You put it under the rug. You pretend it doesn't exist. I remember my dad said it to me at one point. He was like, can you just forget about this? My grandmother also asked me the same thing.
0: Can you just
1: forget about it? Can you forget about it? And I was like, no, I can't forget about it. This is, I'm telling you about a lifetime of suffering that I'm going through. I'm not going to forget about it. But that's what so many women have done in so many other contexts as well. This feeling like throw it under the rug. Don't talk about it. Swallow your pain. And my dad said to me, You were your mother's therapist. You have to fix this. She needs you. And I Mm -hmm. said, You know what? No, that's not my role. And it it never should have been my role to be the primary emotional caretaker of my mother. That's not healthy. So I think for older generations, there's this belief in a way where things just go away if we don't talk about it. But actually, you know, they don't go away. Mm -mm. So that's a big piece of it. I think why she, was furious that i had the balls to tell her how i really felt that was just something we do not do not do in our family it's a, also a parenting thing you know there's also this authoritarian parenting style that some have where it's just like you know parents are always right and children are always wrong and you have to take whatever you have to endure whatever your parents give you because they're your parents they gave you life so that's another belief that's in there and i think also you know, God bless her. My mother went through an enormous amount of trauma and she never got the support. I don't know if it's, she didn't have the fortitude. She didn't feel, you know, she didn't have the tools. She, I don't think she had many models. And so the only way she could interpret my genuine desire to change the dynamic in our relationship, which came from love, she could only interpret that as assault and as attack because she didn't have any other models for anything different. And that's yes. really sad and tragic.
0: Mm, wow. Huge. I'm just thinking <laughs> imagine, I, 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 yeah, I'm just like, whoa. Okay. So I'm just thinking imagine if, and imagine what would have happened if, let's role play for a second. You mm. came to your mother, anyone came to their mother and they sat them down and they practiced what i call ccc crystal clear communication which is when you speak from your heart and you you know look at the other person in the eyes and you practice that imagine if you sat down you practiced ccc with your mom and she received it with an open heart imagine how that would have then unfolded from there and i just want to encourage anybody to if they do have a daughter or they go to their mom like just stay open you know stay mm. open mm-hmm. that's my my whole second book is called open wide it's about staying open wide open mind open heart and i just think wow and you know what i have a stepson he's 13 and he has come to me and i when he did come to me about something I did feel myself closed down. I, yeah. felt my, I felt myself closed down and I felt that whole lineage of the adult is right, the child is wrong. Yeah, I felt all of that programming like swim through my veins. And then my husband was like, he's right. And I was like, wow, he is right. Mm. And we had this beautiful healing conversation and we got to have this conversation and it took our relationship to the next level. Right. There's that opportunity there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. There was that opportunity. And so I just wonder what if we were all parents and children a little more open and how we could heal this wound with a lot more ease and grace and in a faster time it doesn't have to be something that heals in 10 years you know we could do it in a in a more condensed time but that was just my thoughts on that is that we all stay open
1: yeah absolutely absolutely and i think that you know if that if my mom had been open to crystal clear communication i think she thought she was i think she thought that right. you know it, and i think for those of us who have ex- experienced extreme trauma, there's compensations that happen that ill equip. You know, it's not just conscious. Like she, she's like, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to listen to you. You know, like it's, it's so much deeper than the intellect and intention. It's about survival and our survival mechanisms that we developed in the face of trauma direct are about protection and not about mm. connection. So like she, she, really thinks she's right. She thinks I'm wrong, but it's not because she doesn't believe she's open. It's because her survival mechanism, it would just be too threatening for her to even hear what I had to say. You know, I think Mm. for her, it was like, I was an extension of herself. And when I told her I was, I'm not an extent, you know, and I basically said I'm a separate being with separate needs and separate desires. It brought up all of the, you know, the pain underneath that compensation, you know, that like if Bethany's separate, that means I have to deal with my pain. She's not going to take care of it anymore. Like on an unconscious level, it's like, oh my God, that illusion of me as kind of a printified daughter, almost like a surrogate spouse to her or a surrogate mother to her, was what helped her be in dis disassociation from her pain. And when I said I'm separate, it's just too threatening. So I think I love the clear communication intention. I think we need that in, in our in our world. And I also think we need more awareness of how humans adapt to trauma, how prevalent it is, how so many people go through this and there's so little awareness about it. So that's part of what I'm trying to do is bring awareness to a lot of the things that we struggle with are are at this kind of survival protection level. And if we can get out of that, get more tools and more mindsets and build kind of a culture of self-reflection where we make it less taboo, you know, to have these kind of conversations, then we're more likely to support, get people the support they need, you know, to be capable of that CCC, which it takes a level of sophistication, you know, psychologically to be open. So how do we equip people to be capable of that. That's, that's really the question that I'm really excited about. So I'm glad you brought that up. I
0: have to interrupt this conversation to tell you about one of today's podcast sponsors, Blue Blocks, the only blue light glasses backed by science. Now, if you follow me on social media, you will know that I love my blue blocking glasses and I wear them every day because they help alleviate digital eye strain keep your hormones balanced, and help you get a deeper, more restorative sleep. They are made in Australia, which means they are very high quality, and all their glasses come in readers, prescription, and non-prescription. And you can even send in your own frames and have them add their lens technology to your frames. And for every pair purchased, they donate a pair of reading glasses to Restoring Vision, who then gift them to someone in need in the developing countries. How awesome is that? So to get 15% off, head to blueblocks.com. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com and enter the code MELISSA at the checkout. Now let's get back to the conversation. You've got the seven steps to healing this mother wound. Can you take us through them? I would love to. So the seven steps that I
1: created were created basically on looking at my 20 some journey years of going through this myself and then also looking at you know current research on trauma and what's out there what we know about it and it's also you know it's a combination of feminism healing intergenerational trauma and the work that I've done year after year you know plodding along on this journey for so long as a woman who's who's been through it so it's the first step is looking at our mothers as our foundation so really acknowledging that the, our mothers helped create who we are, our beliefs about our bodies, about money, about sexuality, about our potential, what's capable for us. Literally, our mothers helped form the raw material of who we are. You know, when you look at human attachment, you cannot overestimate just how significant and impactful a mother's influence has on her children that that's not to blame mothers like some people are like oh i don't want to look at my mother wound i don't want to feel like i'm blaming my mother it's not about blame and that again that comes from that old top down patriarchal view that if you question or look at your mother's at all then you're automatically blaming her so we're we're getting rid of that old patriarchal thing and we're saying healing the mother wound is about healing and transformation it's about looking at this relationship for the enormous source of information it is about how we came to be who we are how we developed our challenges, but also our strengths. And I think ultimately this work is about elevating women and elevating mothers to the place where they need to be in our society. So that's the first step is like really taking in inventory of, you know, how has my mother influenced who I am? And for a lot of women, that basic inventory is mind-blowing because you start to see like, where have I taken on beliefs that aren't really mine? You know, where have I internalized beliefs that actually are a strategy you know to get approval or to be liked you know and what's really true for me because ultimately this is all this whole journey is about getting to the true you to the the core the essence the genius of who you are underneath these patriarchal compensations that we've all accumulated to some degree as we go through the seven steps we dismantle we take this apart and we see the attachment that we might have to these beliefs as a way to survive in this world. So it's it's deep. So that's step one, which is huge in itself. Step two is looking at the stereotypes and the myths that perpetuate the mother wound. A really key thing to do at the beginning of the journey is to look at what are the things that have, ta- that have scared you from looking at this? For a lot of us, it's like this myth of the mother and daughter, they're best friends, and they do everything together. Or the myth of the perfect family, And that if you have any kind of negative emotion towards your mother, then there's something wrong with you. You know, there's also the myth that, you know, that you're ungrateful if you have any negative feelings towards your mother. But the truth is, you know, in human relationships, even mothers and daughters, there's always going to be some friction. There's always going to be, you know, some conflict, some degree. All healthy relationships have some degree of conflict. It's just about how do we deal with that. So when we look at these, Very confining stereotypes that tell us that we can only have one relationship with our mother, and that's gratitude and love and nothing else. If we have anything other than that, we're bad, we're selfish, we're wrong, we're ungrateful. So we want to look at that and just see how silly it is because, you know, it's just not real. It's not true. All of us have these moments, and it's nothing to be ashamed of, it's nothing to feel judgmental towards yourself about it's just reality so it's kind of taking away the shame and the taboo around this the third step is looking at the mother gap the mother gap is the gap between what you needed from your mother and what you actually received and for a lot of us that gap creates a whole load of problems in our relationships you know a lot of us are walking around with kind of a jumble of parts there's like an inner child part there's an inner teen and then there's a, our adult self and for whatever you know, needs that we didn't get met as little kids or teens, whatever, we, you tend to project that. We tend to project that onto our partners, onto our friends, onto our bosses. So whatever we don't, whatever we refuse to own, we're going to project. And so a key to looking at that is like, what are the recurrent problems that you see in your life? What are the replicating issues that keep showing up? And how is that connected to your early childhood? you want to link it back link it back because when you get to the core of it then you can work with it you become aware of it you can change it so and as you you might notice that with each step we're breaking patriarchal norms in step 3 we're looking at where did this originate you know and there's that taboo don't look to the past the past is over why look at the past well the past is in the present moment the past shows up every day in those replicating challenges and problems that we face so When we go and look at, you know, what were the original situations that we adapted to, you know, because a lot of us with that mother gap, we all have some degree of gap. You know, mothers are not superhuman people, you know, they're humans (laughs) with flaws and their own, their own uh, wounds as well. But our society puts so much pressure on them and gives them so little support. So we all have some kind of mother gap. And, And usually in response to that mother gap, we create a false self, a self that we show the world to compensate create stories about ourselves that aren't true. So we unpack all of that in step three, which is the mother gap. Step four is the impossible dream. So a lot of us have this dream. It's it's a compensating thing that children do when we're faced with maternal shortcomings is we we create this dream like, oh, there's something wrong with me. You know, to a child with limited cognitive abilities, the child is the center of the world. So it thinks, oh, you know, I'm not getting what I need right now. There must be something wrong with me. I'm bad. There's something wrong with me. You know, mom doesn't want to be near me because I'm bad. And so we develop this impossible dream that one day when I'm good enough, when I'm whatever she wants me to be, then I'm going to get the love that I want. And this is impossible dream can be running in the background of our lives without us even knowing it. And it can show up in other ways. It's not always about our mothers. It's often unconsciously about other stuff. Like for me, the impossible dream was one day when I, it always changed. It was like, when I get my PhD, it was when I moved to Chicago, when I when I get married, you know, it was like, then I'm going to get what I need. Then I'm going to be happy. But there was this impossible dream actually at the very core of all that, that was like, I have to be superhuman to be deserving. It was some deeper story there. So the impossible dream is huge. and And when we let go of it with our mothers, we often see that, impossible dreams will let go in other areas of our lives. It's one of the most powerful things about this work. Why it's so powerful is that when we work at this root level, we're working at like the blueprint level. When we look at the attachment, you know, when one thing is healed at this level with the mother wound, it actually gets healed in all these different areas at the same time. So you don't need to be working on your career per se, or your relationships per se. When you work on the mother wound, you're working on all of them. And this happened to me with my own journey. Like I gave up the impossible dream with my mother. I went through a really deep, you know, period of time working on that. And all of a sudden, my impossible dream with my husband at the time collapsed as well. And I was like, "Wow, you know, I can't even relate to him in the same way. I I don't need him in the same way I did. I'm not, you know, relationship doesn't serve the same purpose as it did. You know, it. I got, I began to see all the illusions that were involved in that relationship because I did this deep work. And the mother wound. So the impossible dream is, it's a process in itself. I mean, that, that step alone is, is a big process. Step five is allowing ourselves to grieve. And again, grief is a, an emotion that our culture has, and all the cultures, you know, patriarchal cultures have issues most of them have issues with grief and and that we need to hide it. That's something to be ashamed of. That we need to get over it. You know, we need to get through this as soon as possible. But grief, this is about transforming our relationship with grief, which is that grief is the biggest ally. It's when we let go of the past. Grief is about the heart. Grief is about, it's, it's really about something to be embraced. And grief actually is a healthy part of life. So it, taking a step to really grieve. And there's so many layers to the mother wound. It's not something we do one and done. And that's one of the things I hate about like a seven step process. It kind of intimates this linearity that's really not there. It's a spiral and there's layers to it. The cool thing though, is that as you get the hang of this work, you start, I kind of akin it to surfing. You know, I was a, a big surfer in like high school and college. And, you know, in the beginning, when you learn to surf, it's like the waves keep pummeling you down. Right. And it's just like, ah, you know, you don't know how to read the waves yet. And there's a whole process of like reading the wave, learning the mechanics of it, learning which waves to to go for, which waves to let go, and then over time you start to be able to ride a wave and you harness that energy, and you can you you get awareness of when to stand up, you know when to you know all of these things go into it. But surfing becomes fun. It's not about oh I I need to get away from these waves or keep pummeling me. It's like oh let me go into the waves and like learn how to harness them and ride them and actually have fun. That's how I see the transformational process. It's like learning how to learning what the terrain is and learning certain mindsets you can actually embrace transformation and healing as part of life itself the transformation is life and it's not about oh shit i'm not done yet you know i thought i was healed throw that out the window you know like the whole destination of being healed this kind of deep work this deep transformational long term shifts that happen here you know it's a lifetime and we're doing work for generations. You know, we're doing like intergenerational clearing. So it's, it's part of accepting that grief, you know, is part of this journey. It's part of embracing it and seeing it as, as a beautiful, important, central piece of our lives. And there's so many things we grieve as we heal the mother wound. You know, we grieve that we couldn't have the family we wanted. We grieve that, you know, no matter what we did as kids, we couldn't change the situation in our families. You know, we grieve for the child in us that went through a lot of suffering to some degree, that how sad that is, you know, how awful that is that that happened, the magnitude of how we suffered. We grieve this. And as we grieve it, we lean into that pain. We open to that pain. That pain is a transformer. It transforms into consciousness, into passion, into joy, into freedom. But we must have that, you know, again, here's another upending of patriarchal norms. We open to pain. We don't, avoid it or distract or numb it we open to it and and there's a process of getting the resilience necessary to open to that grief so that's step 5 i could say a million things about each of these steps is this okay
0: oh yes please keep going
1: okay i just wanted to check in with you it's it's a long it's a long process so step 6 is transforming the inner mother so all of us have you know, to some degree, the mother in our minds, right? We can, Sometimes we can hear our mother's voice. Maybe she's the voice of <laughs> encouragement and like you can do it. Maybe sometimes it's the voice of who do you think you are? What's wrong with you? You're never gonna succeed at this. You know, we have our mothers in us to some degree, right? And the inner child, you know, the big piece, this a very, very central piece of healing the mother wound is working with the inner child. So the, the inner child is a living energy that lives in us and often a lot of us are not conscious of the inner child, but we may experience the symptoms of an inner child when, you know, like self-sabotage is a big one. We're going towards a big goal, but all of a sudden we can't do it. You know, we freeze up at the end. We can't go for what we want. The inner child is the gatekeeper of our upper limits. Her concern is safety. So she's reading. The inner child in us is constantly reading the situation in which we're in and for safety. So if there's some situations, maybe a relationship or a dynamic with your boss or a thing that your partner does that triggers that inner child, triggers that old pain that's underneath, you know, that hasn't been dealt with yet. And that's when we get triggered and we might get impulsive. We might get reactive. We might freeze or we might like lash out. That's the inner child um, trying to stay safe, trying to, you know, might go be going through a, a traumatic flashback of some kind that you went through as a child. So what we do in step six is build a bond with the inner child. We become the mother to ourselves that we never had, that we needed. We become that mother to her. And and in doing that, we stop looking out at the world like, love me, mother me, tell me I'm important. You know, All those feelings that we might have in moments, we start to meet those needs from within ourselves. And there's a safety over time, there's a safety that's developed where the inner child trusts the inner mother more than she trusts the outer mother. So there's a transfer of attachment that pl- takes place where now the good mother in you is the one that's holding and keeping that inner child safe. And what does this look like? It looks like being able to go into new possibilities. You know, your upper limits get blown up and you're able to do a lot more f- while feeling safe doing it. So it's definitely a long term process. And I'm always amazed, actually, when I work with my clients, like all that can become possible through just a little bit of consistent connection. Like it's, it's really, it's amazing. So this is central to moving through, you know, moving be- beyond that maternal horizon into our true potential while feeling safe. And what, how I see this in people I work with is women like automatically go into more leadership, whether in they're in a leadership role or not, they're able to start, you know, Initiate those d- difficult conversations. Create, you know, set solid boundaries. You know, endure discomfort of, you know, being more resilient. Allow people to not like them. <laughs> you know, allow the discomfort of being misperceived, of being disliked, of you know, rocking the boat. All of those things become possible, and these are qualities that I think as women we really need to to be able to embody in an authentic way, and so it's like the inner child in us starts to feel more safe. She starts to feel more creative and and more playful and pleasure becomes something that's really fun. Like we have all these ceilings, you know, the inner child puts these like really low ceilings on us to feel safe so we can survive. And what she doesn't know is that actually you're no longer in a a traumatic situation. You actually have an adult self now who can help you and keep you safe and, and support you and celebrate you and all those things that you needed. And so in doing that, a whole new realm becomes available. So it's so, it's so amazing. That's step six. And then step seven is, you know, life beyond the mother wound. What I call it, I call it emergence, but it's all about, you know, the long-term journey and the mindsets that you need to continue. Because as you go through each level, each layer of the spiral, and there's always more layers, you get more and more empowerment. You get more and more capacity, you know, to step into your most, you know, fully expressed self. And for a lot of us, that might mean, you know, going for our dreams, writing our books, doing our speeches, becoming activists, you know, whatever, basically whatever your deeper self wants to do, you, are, you have greater access to that and you have a greater confidence in your ability to carry out those actions, even in the face of disapproval or, you know, people not liking your greater voice because as women this is something we face you know we're, we're and so i think this is really powerful work the the most powerful work for women right now because face it if you do all this like spiritual stuff i mean believe me i spent time in you know spiritual bypassing for years in the non duality world and in um all kinds of stuff i dabbled in i i wanted all these things through that but actually the things that i found you know, the ability to have a life that really reflects every aspect of who I am, that came through healing the mother wound. (laughs) When I was doing the spiritual stuff and kind of just self-help stuff, dabbling there, all these issues just kept coming up and up and up and up. It just had like a superficial effect, the empowerment that I received through those domains. It was only when I did this deeper stuff, this deeper work on the mother wound that I was able to have the transformations that I was really longing for. And it's, it's not a quick fix. It's not like instant results the way that our, you know, self-help world kind of promises. It's, it's a deeper work, but it's the real work. I like to say it's, you know, the long-term authentic path to true transformation. We have to look at this stuff in order to really transform.
0: Yeah. It's like that marathon. It's not the sprint. It's, it's a journey. Yes, exactly. And we can do it. You know, there's
1: moments where it feels hard as hell. Like, I mean, I remember years I was like sitting in therapy, like, when is this going to be over? Like, when is my life going to start? What's my purpose? Like I'm still in therapy and I'm what the hell. And my therapist was just like, you know, it's going to get easier. You just have to stay with it. And I was lucky enough to have, you know, as I said, kind of a feminist, Therapist who was like a on the edge, cutting edge of trauma work. So I got a lot of amazing support. And support is a huge piece of this as well. But I think, you know, what I'm excited about is collectively women doing this work on a large scale.
0: And like, I think we're ready for it. Oh, totally. This is life transformational work that you're talking about. This is deep lineage, amazing stuff that we all need to do. And I'm just so grateful that you just shared all of that with us and the work that you're doing. Holy moly. Like I'm just bowing down to you right now, (laughs) but ideally we would have done this work before we have children. Is that what you kind of think, you know, ideally do it before you have kids? No, I. Yeah. But it's
1: never too late. It's never too late. And actually, you yes. know, here's my thing about mother, because I have a lot of moms I work with. A lot of moms come to me and they they say exactly that, like, I need to do this work because I can see that it's getting passed down. And I always say, trust exactly where you're at, because you know what? Kids don't need perfect parents. That that's a big lie. That's another like patriarchal lie. That. But what the heck is it? What is perfect? It's not, what yeah, the heck is Exactly, that? it's a concept. It's it's not even real but what kids do need they need models of you know parents who take ownership of their stuff and they work through it and that are on the path and that build that resilience that can be in conflict and model that it's okay you know it's okay we can get through this or they can model what it means to take time for yourself to get support to be on an inner journey of and reaping the the benefits of that like that's what kids need. They don't need perfect parents. They need imperfect parents who are on the path. Yeah, totally. And it's never too late for that.
0: (laughs) Never, ever, ever. So anyone listening, if you have five, six, seven kids, it is not too late. Please dive into this work now. It's so important. And I just want to reiterate what you said about the support. The support piece is so important. I would not have been able to do a lot of this work if I didn't Mm. have the support that I've had over the years, different healers and teachers and therapists. And it has been so supportive for me to have someone outside of my husband. Yes, he is an incredible support, but it's not fair to keep dumping all of our stuff with them. They are our lovers. We do need to go and get support somewhere else, whether that's with a friend or whether that's with a trained professional. I really want to encourage everybody to do that. It's so important. But I wanted to just ask you, is there like this whole process with our dads as well? Like do is there something mm-hmm. similar that we then need to do with our fathers?
1: Yes, absolutely, and I actually tell my students who are you know who take my course to use that process with their fathers as well. The same process can is is extremely helpful. So, how was your father a foundation for you? What did you you know? How did he impact your beliefs about yourself and the world and all all that? What stereotypes do you have about you and your dad? You know, the father gap, all of this stuff is a powerful path. To even looking at your father, and and always whenever women do this this work with me, the father comes up, and a lot of women say, "Oh, I always thought I had issues with my dad. I worked through so much of that, and then I realized I have these issues with my mother. but that's actually where I'm, where my work is. So it's all connected, you know, all this stuff is all connected. But for specifically for women, the mother is primary because we share that gender identity, and so we even more internalize more deeply the dynamics there. And, you know, for example, throughout history, women have always stayed more connected with their mothers than their fathers. For boys, it's like boys are dependent only until they become their own, you know, till they go out and have their own families. For women, that connection with mother is kind of lifelong. So we don't have like a similar time when we just like break away from family in the same way that men do. So it's like, the, the, the enmeshment that can happen is even more entrenched. But absolutely, our fathers play a role too. Like I got so much insight on my father and, and my father's mother wound. You know, men have mother wounds as well. Oh, yeah. And I, I think that, you know, the mother wound that men have is, it's deep. It's, you know, a lot of the violence I think that we see in the world is men feeling cut off from their own feminine source, you know, their own female side, the way that patriarchy cut them from their own mothers, the patriarchal mandate to not feel, to not, you know, be, you know, kind, to not have, you know, that that represented a weakness. They had to forego that relationship with their mothers. You know, it's like when we're children, our mothers are the most important being in the whole world. And boys had this dissonance where it's like, I mean, we did too as women, but as boys, it's like my mom's the most important, but she's also the most defiled in the world. Mm. You know, And so it's like there's this whole process that men it's it's really there's a lot of suffering there,
0: oh yeah, you know,
1: I have a whole I have a whole thing about men and the mother wound that I talk about, too. But, yeah, it's all related, melissa. it's 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 all there, connected, wow. once we start looking. <laughs>
0: Yeah, this is, this is massive. This is massive, this work. And yeah, you can see that a lot of the violence and the anger that is in the world, where it stems from, you know, these wounds, these inner wounds. But I'd love to hear what are you working on within yourself at the moment? Like where are you at with all of this within yourself? Or is there something else that you're focused on and working on within yourself today?
1: Mm, That's a great question. Thanks for asking that.
0: Yeah. I'm always working on my own mother
1: wound. You know, my, I have issues. I'm, you know, I'm in no way like healed 100%. So I'm always working on my wound. And yeah, you know, what I'm at the moment, like when I was in my previous relationship, because, you know, romantic relationships are really powerful Laboratories for healing the mother wound. So um, oh, yeah. with my yeah, with my ex husband, I was dealing a lot with the in, the abandonment part of my mother wound. So feeling abandoned because he was more emotionally closed off. So I replayed some of those dynamics of trying to coax him, you know, to talk to me or to, for us to connect. And and he had his own you know mother wound around feeling kind of shut down by her. So we our mother wounds really interact that way. But I worked out a lot of that abandonment side with him. And, and actually our relationship kind of, once I healed so much of that, <clears throat> we we were like no longer as connected and we broke up. We're still great friends, but my current relationship, which is actually with a woman. So I have a wife now it's even, it's not about abandonment anymore. It's about invasion. I'm healing the invasion part of my mother wound. So my mom was really invasive. She read my journals you know she felt entitled to me in kind of a predatory way, and so now that I have a partner who's so emotionally like we're like both really good communicators, we're both really connected to ourselves and each other. It's like a whole new level of amazing growth I'm experiencing with her. so my wound is like when she's really like present, sometimes I get like triggered like, oh, this feels like you know a bit, this feels like invasion right now, and so I've been working on like helping my inner child feel safe that she's no longer being invaded. This is actually a safe, I'm safe right now. So it's like this amazing landscape of healing that wasn't. I wasn't even aware of before that I'm healing a whole nother part of the wound. And it's so empowering and especially to be in relationship with a woman and healing the mother wound and her wound is her abandonment wound. So it's like, it's amazing. So we, we're in therapy, obviously together. We're in couples therapy and we're both in our own therapy. But there's so much growth when we're both, you know, my ex was not so much in his own growth path. My current partner is. And so there's just this amazing momentum and acceleration of healing that's happening in that relationship. And and I think in personally, like just in my own work I'm doing, it's more about, and as an entrepreneur, I'm sure you could probably relate to this too, Melissa, this this feeling of tuning in every day to what's next for me and kind of living that moment to moment rather than looking at like, what do I have to do? You know, looking at the email and social media, it's more like really prioritizing my inner work and then everything gets nourished from there.
0: Mm, Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. And it's so important. Like my husband's very much on the journey as well. And I'm so, so, so grateful that he is so open to doing his own work and then doing work with me, which is just awesome. Because in a relationship, you've got your stuff, his stuff, and then oh, yeah. combine, the combined stuff. So, you know, there's there's, <laughs> there's three entities that need to be looked at and it's they all need love and they all need attention. And I think, you know, whatever if the other person is going through something it's really beautiful to be able to hold space for them whilst they move through that and heal that thing it's it's a really beautiful thing to be able to offer the other person
1: absolutely and i think especially with you know our attachment wounds each what i've seen the biggest thing i've seen and this you know i advise people in couples too th- around this that the biggest Thing that can help you move through some of that stuff is, is each partner taking responsibility for that child, right? A lot of what we get taught in the culture is like, you know, our inner child has these needs, but we don't really know them as such. So we kind of like basically, you know, put this little kid in the hands of our partner and say, take care of me, you know, the way that my parents didn't. So a lot of this projection stuff can happen, but it's so powerful when both partners take that responsibility for caring for that inner child and take on that as that's their primary job is to take care of those wounds and then you can be in partnership you know where you can support one another like oh it seems like your inner you know your inner child is is feeling like she she's sad right now or she's triggered or there's there's a neediness right now let's talk about that and then that other partner can say oh yeah you know my inner child is really triggered right now by your need for space or you know something like that it's like When both people are taking responsibility and like building that self awareness muscle, that's true relationship. That you know, the primary relationship is always with ourselves, always with the child within. That's the lifelong marriage. Mm. Is the child within healing that child, and then we then we can show up to our partners as true, you know, truly taking responsibility and truly owning our stuff, and then we can really have intimacy, right? Because when both people can feel that level of vulnerability and that level of strength it's it's like a laboratory for true growth that's you know without limits.
0: Mm, totally. I've done a lot of inner child healing work and awesome. Yeah, it's a journey. Yeah, it's a journey and I'm still still on it too, which is which is beautiful. But I would love to hear now if you had a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world, what is one book that you would choose? Hmm. That's a tough choice. I'm just like thinking to
1: myself. Some come to mind that are, I'm reading right now. You know what? What I would say today, I might say something different tomorrow. The book that comes to mind that's blown the minds of many of my clients. It's a very little-known book, and it has a kind of a title that people would probably walk right by it, but it's got some massive. Information in there that's transformational. It's called the verbally abusive relationship. <laughs> no one would pick that up, right? I sent that to no. I sent that to a client recently, um, someone who's worked with me for a long time. And she was like, I, I was like, I don't need that book. And then she started reading it and she was like, I just bought eight copies for you know my wow. friend. Wow. <laughs> because what it does is it talks about. You know, in our, rela- in our culture, we don't talk about communication, you know, and healthy communication. Mm-hmm. And this book really breaks down. It actually kind of talks to, uh, to the mother wound a bit, you know, not in those terms. But it basically says that when people go through pain in their childhoods without a loving witness, they develop a power over orientation to the world where it's like, I feel safe when I power over stuff or over people. And when people have a loving witness to their pain when they're children, they actually develop a power with orientation to the world, where it's like mutuality and cooperation and so it really breaks it down that there's a cultural piece of this it's patriarchy of course, and it it, it shows up in how we deal with relationships and how women feel like often that we you know submit to you know being overpowered in some capacity, and men feel like they need to have power over because they didn't get a loving witness often to their emotions. They had to shut down to survive. So it it explains this overarching cultural atmosphere, but then it also talks, breaks down. Like these are the dynamics that happen in relationships. It doesn't have to be romantic. It can be like a, like relationships with bosses or coworkers or friends or other family members. And it really gives a practical, concrete ways this plays out. And it gives you lots of ways to work with it. And they're, common, everyday stuff we think is normal, you start to see, oh my God, this isn't normal. This is actually unhealthy. And here's a way I can become healthier with it. And so I think this book would be powerful for any person to read because it really breaks down some of these invisible ways that we are harmed or are perpetuating harm that we don't know about it. And it gives us a cultural context of understanding where it came from and and how to change it. And those are the kind of books I love. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes, I love that and we'll link to that in the show notes as well and as well as all of your amazing work. But I would love to hear now I love hearing about how people prime themselves for the day and how they set themselves up for a successful day. So, can you share with us your morning routine and then how your day unfolds?
1: Absolutely. This has been a journey I've been on for like like a year or two now big time. And the mornings have become this incredible you know time so the 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 way that i deal with my mornings is i always start out with you know just taking care of myself so always coffee first thing no matter what i'm a coffee fiend i love coffee love it love it so i always drink coffee and just chill and usually it's in nature it's outside it's in my yard or if it's raining it's you know just kind of in my little nest and i just just wake up and just Hang out for a while with my coffee. And then it's usually journaling, writing down my dreams, you know, just journaling. I always have like something I'm working on. So it's just like thoughts around that. And then it goes into some kind of nature, usually like exercise, walking around. I have a beautiful park right near my house. And I just the other day actually went up and hiked onto this amazing peak up there. So it's like just time to chill and get connected, meditating. Some days it doesn't always look exactly the same. It could be you know, more time outside and not meditating or, you know, it kind of changes. And I like to have a flexibility. I'm not rigid. Rigid doesn't work for me. My inner rebel, just blow it up. (laughs) So there's always going to be flexibility. And then, you know, of course, eating a healthy breakfast and then taking a shower or not, and then jumping into, into work once I feel, you know, and then I usually create like a list of things to do with coffee you know, and then I get it, then I feel nourished. And then I'm like, I'm excited to start working, but it took me a long time to figure this out. I used to just start working immediately upon rising, like grab my phone, look at email, like first thing. And, um, God, it's been a long journey of discovering, you know, how that actually was a reflection of my own mother wound. Actually, as a parentified child, feeling like I had to work all the time and not rest until I was exhausted. Like that was years of working through that. So it's been a, a real journey to get to a place where it's like, no, prior to prioritize self first, rest first, nourish myself first, and then when I'm like feeling amazing, then I give. Then I give from there. So so that's what I like to do and most of the mornings are my time. And then I only have clients, you know, a couple, you know, twice a month, I have those days. So batching is important to my days, you know, making sure that, you know, all my calls are on the same day. And then I have lots of open time to write and to, you know, take care of myself because I realized over time that the more I feel good, the more I show up and the more ideas and connections and just the more I can offer. So it's counterintuitive in this world where it's like work 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 grind grind hustle all the time but it's 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 kind of a deeper feminine way actually to tune in first to the self to to nourish the self and then give from there and and to live I've been experimenting lately with just living moment to moment like not having a plan like having many days without a plan and just going intuitively hour by hour and those are often the most transformational like I put out you know, internally, just my own shifts and re- realizations and insights, but then also what I can offer—the ideas and the connections that, you know, in my way of being, I can just come from a much deeper, more profound place for other people that I serve. And so I'm, I'm really experimenting with what is it like to live hour by hour, mm, and to
0: trust beautiful. to that from that from that level. It's it's yeah, <laughs> beautiful. It's a it's a growth journey for sure. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Beautiful. I've got 3 rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. What's one thing that we can do today for our health? Just one thing. Hmm. I'd say get outside. Yeah. Oh, yeah. mother nature, so healing.
1: Yeah. yeah. I know. It's it's it it is a simple thing and even if it's just stepping outside and taking a deep breath and looking at trees or the sky and That's the simplest thing, I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. What's one thing that we can do for more wealth? So more abundance in all areas of our life. Mm.
1: I would say just look at what you have. Look at what you already have and allow yourself to feel good about that, no matter what it is. That's been a, a key touchstone for me is to feel wealthy, to feel abundant is to just already see what's here for you.
0: Yes. Yes. And appreciate that. And what is one thing that we can do for more love in our life? I would say, look, love yourself. Find a way
1: to love. Be that source for yourself in some way. What is something you need right now? And then give it to yourself. Don't look for it from anyone else.
0: Yes. Beautiful. Fill yourself up from the inside out. I love that. Yes. Now, is there anything else that you want to share before we wrap up? Is there any last parting words of wisdom or anything that I didn't ask you about, but you really wanted to talk about?
1: I would say one thing I would like to say to everyone who's listening and, and, um, you know, some of you may have great relationships with your mom's, And some of you may not, some of you may have stressful or tense relationships with your moms. But I would say to those of you who have some measure of stress with your mother, to to just know that, to not feel shame about that, to not feel shame about that and to look deeper into that relationship and know that the stress you may be experiencing holds a lot of empowerment if you look a little deeper and explore that more that there is that there's a lot of gold in looking at what's causing you stress there what are those dynamics and looking at how those dynamics also show up in other parts of your life there's incredible gifts in that so i just want to be encouraging i want to encourage you i want to validate you you're not alone there's millions of women out there in the same position you are and it's possible to move through it and to get incredible self-awareness and empowerment through it as well.
0: Mm, Beautiful. Thank you. That's so powerful. Thank you so much for sharing. Mm. And I'm a massive believer in service, and I want to know what I and the listeners can do to serve you today. How can we serve you? Because you serve so many people with your work and with your books. Like What you're doing in the world is just such powerful, transformative work. So how can we give back to you? Mm, That's so powerful. A beautiful question. I appreciate
1: that. What could you do for me? I would say a couple things. (laughs) The first one is if you know someone, if you know someone who has a difficult relationship with their mother, to, to really hold that person whether it's listening to them or having just a little more compassion for her, honoring her, you know, that that's that's not an easy journey. If you could just, yeah, give that woman a little bit of extra love and respect and care in some way, that would be awesome. I would so appreciate that. A second thing I would say is if you... I have a book coming out. So if any of what I've said to you resonates at all with you today, I want to encourage you to keep your eye out for the book. It's coming out in May of 2020. So the next Mother's Day we have. And what's it called? Well, I haven't actually finalized the, the title yet, but it's going to have the mother wound in it. So it might be like healing the mother wound or The Mother Wound. But it's going to be an incredible book. It's going to actually have my story. I know I gave you guys like a really short version. It's going to have like a detailed version of my journey and um, as well as lots of teachings. And it's, it's, it's going to be amazing. So that's me in May 2020. So just keep your eye out. If you feel called to the work, if any of the stuff I shared resonated, you can go to my website, which is motherwound.com. If you know someone, that woman that, you know, in your life who has a difficult relationship with her mom, let her know about the URL because she might have a ton of free articles and ebooks and videos. I just revamped my YouTube channel. There's a lot of like love and support and validation on my site. So you can let her know, motherwound.com, and just uh, keep an eye out for the book and spread the word to other women who, you know, the most painful thing is being on this journey and feeling alone and feeling like you're the only one and that you're, you know, bad or unselfish or grateful, ungrateful, you know, all these patriarchal stigmas that we have for women. Um, So if you know anyone, I would love it if you could spread the word about the work and about the book. I'd be so grateful.
0: Absolutely. And I know probably everyone listening is like, yep, I know someone. Yeah, <laughs> Or, you know, even like, yeah, I'm like, yep, me. And I know a lot of people probably be thinking, yep, I want to get that book for myself too. So I just want to personally thank you so much for not only sharing all of your wisdom today and giving us your time and just diving deep with us. It has been so powerful I've been taking some notes myself so thank you so much for sharing and for all the work that you're doing and for being so brave and vulnerable and you know using your story as an example because I know that that probably wasn't an easy thing to do maybe it was I'm not sure but I just want to thank you so Mm. much Bethany for the work that you're doing for blazing the trail and for helping us all heal our mother wound and to all rise because if we all did this work imagine the world that we would live in if every single human being did this work wow magic so from the bottom of my heart darling thank you so much Mm.
1: melissa thank you so much it's been amazing to be here with you on your podcast and to have this conversation and I want to thank you for inviting me and for creating the space for us to talk about this issue thank you so much for for seeing the value and for highlighting it and bringing it to your audience and for the work that you do in the world too thank you so much it's it's really been a joy to be with you today
0: wow wasn't that incredible after listening to that episode, you will never be the same. There's many people that go through their life without having this awareness, and now that you have heard this episode, it's going to shift something deep within you. So, I'm really proud of you for listening to the whole episode, and I know sometimes this stuff can be confronting, but I'm really proud of you. Well done. I don't know about you, but I got so much out of it. And I'm going to be sharing this with all the women in my life. And if you got a lot out of this too, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that you could potentially be the review of the week for next week, which is pretty cool. And just a little reminder that by you sharing this with the women in your life, you are being part of that ripple effect. And I believe that the world will be healed when us women take responsibility and really show up as the best version of ourselves. So please share it with all the women in your life right now. And don't forget to come and follow me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini and tell me your top key takeaways from this episode. I absolutely love reading every single one of them. And for everything that Bethany and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that is over at com forward slash 235. And you can also listen to all my other episodes there too. And before I go, I just wanted to say that I am so proud of you for being here and for showing up and for taking radical responsibility for your own health and happiness. You are awesome and I appreciate you and I adore you. And you need to acknowledge yourself, you know, for being here and for wanting to grow and learn and for wanting to be the best and healthiest and the happiest version of yourself and for showing up. You are amazing. Really know that.